Welcome to Adapter's Advantage, breakthrough moments that lead to success. Our podcast brings you insider stories of the moments that matter, turning points on the sometimes rocky road to success. Here's your host, Mark Magnaca, president and co-founder of Alego, the workforce training and readiness platform built for distributed teams. Hi, I'm Mark Magnaca, and I want to welcome you back to the next episode of the Adapter's Advantage podcast. I'm excited to have with me today, Michael Antonorsi. Michael is the CEO and founder of Chihuahua Chocolate, and he's also a student of the journey of life. I think he brings a unique combination of entrepreneurial magic along with his artistic journey. So we're gonna have a great conversation. And Michael, let's jump right in uh, with the question, when people meet you and they ask you, so Michael, what do you do? What do you say? Ah, uh, I bring joy. <laughs> that's what I do. My, my, that's my mission in life. So um, that's what I do at work. And that's what I do at home. I cook, I serve. I, I am always trying to generate a space for people to, to celebrate life. So the good thing is that since I have a chocolate business, it's easier for me to do that that way too. <laughs> In my, com- in my company, I pretty much just walk around and give hugs and touch everybody and kind of give them, you know, attention and connect with them uh, in a personal way. So for me, that's, uh, this is really what, what I can do and what I do best. So my question to you is, where did you develop this mindset to want to evoke joy? Well, you know, it's, uh, I think it, it only happens when you pay attention, but uh, I did all the things that everybody does, you know, do the whole business thing, build it, try to sell it, whatever it is, you know, run, run, run. And uh, like Achuao, for instance, you know, we, for nine years, we were losing money. You know, we were trying to, we put the cart in front of the horses. We were trying to do things while still expressing our passion and my love to what I was creating in chocolates. And as we were almost pretty much ready to shut down and the investors were saying like, hey, we can't continue pitching here, uh, what's going to happen? And I, I just couldn't stop because I knew we had something beautiful. And that's when I started thinking, what is it that we actually do here? You know, and, uh, and, I, and I started listening back to all the stories of people that, you know, express how much them or their wives or husbands, whatever, express the joy they felt when they had the chocolates. And then I realized that what, we don't do chocolate. We actually offer the ability for people to experience joy. So in that point of the junction in our evolution as a company, I, I came to that conclusion. And I also wanted to get rid of this mission thing that is always related to competition, right? You know, if, if you start competing with like my, dark, my chocolate is darker than your chocolate or my origin is better than your origin, you know, my smoother, it's a, it's a tiring competition. I'm, and I'm honestly an enemy of competition. I love competence, but not competition. I will talk about that later. But uh, so I, I decided to turn the mission into an intention. So as an intention in the company, we're here to share joy with the world through this deliciously engaging chocolate experiences. So this kind of started a whole evolution in our culture internally as a company too, because to be able to share joy, you have to have joy. It was the joy a catalyst in terms of your own creativity to sort of push the boundaries of what you out to be? Absolutely. You know, as we started, uh, my I've been an entrepreneur all my life, first in biomedical, in, in computer networking and telecommunications for 14 years until, uh, until I was able to uproot my family, go to France, become a chef and kind of follow my passion. And, uh, and then came to San Diego to start the chocolate company, but we still start, started it as, a, as a, an entrepreneur. And, and uh, I realized that entrepreneurs are normally very full of themselves. 
uh, you're so self-centered and you think that you got something going that everybody should immediately understand. And you forget that you need to connect with the others. So this is why for nine years we were doing something really good, but we were not really getting it out correctly. Mm-hmm. So like our first tagline here was unusual, unexpected and delicious. For me, it was exciting. I'm, I'm more like a, you know, I want to really find new things, but for the American market, unusual and unexpected are not welcome. It's a great point. Delicious, yes, but unusual, mm, unexpected. Uh. Right. So, so then I was like, oh my God. I'm, so then I changed it into the next layer of feeling alive, which was to arouse your senses. Yeah, I remember that. Delicious, with delicious, engaging chocolate experiences. And, and I was walking a very fine line because arousal in the United States is usually related to sexual arousal. I was trying to arouse your life, your, all your senses, right? Coming to life as you experience a, a chocolate bar. Uh, still missing the point and, and still learning how much I was actually uh, giving or forcing out and not really listening yet to what people were actually experiencing. I was still very much into myself. You know, you had to have your joy had to be like mine. You know, I wasn't really paying attention of what you have. Right. So then we started understanding and we pivoted the company and changed our wrapping, which was un- before it was very designer, but nobody could understand it. The naming was really weird and nobody could even pronounce it. And now we went into making something that's much easier for people to understand and relate to and connect. So once we did this uh, change of image and, and, and put all this together with the change of intention also, things started to flow. And we went into flavor profiles that are still very intriguing, but they use familiar ingredients like the potato chips and milk chocolate, you know, uh, all these bars that we have, keeping some of the more uh, discovery ones like the firecracker, but uh, we're bringing in like the s'mores and a toffee pretzel and things like that, where the consumer now uh, is now invited to the joy party. Because if you are too, um, uh, if you're not open to understand how they receive joy, then they're not going to join the party. So you have to kind of break down, understand that intention is the same, but really listen in what they, what they would be very happy to connect with. I can tell you with my own children, just watching them consume that chocolate with me, it definitely evoked that joy that you're describing. Just, you know, just fun. It was, it was fun to eat. So um, just to give our listeners a little background, Michael, you have a, a unique background here, having grown up in, in Venezuela, I know that your mom was from Germany and um, your dad was from Venezuela. What was that dynamic like for you? And how do you think it helped shape who you've become? Well, you know, it's uh, when you start, I think it applies to just about any family, right? So you have parents that are concerned about your uh, wellness and your success in life. So they're really wanting to push you so that you don't suffer. You know, they're coming here. My mom is coming from post-World War II, my dad, you know, um, natural child, no, no, no father, no father figure. So they're really into like guiding your step, right? So sure. don't do this, don't do that, do this, do this. And, and I got really pushed hard. So I was done with high school by 16. I was done with college in biomedical engineering by 21. And I, I, and I had an MBA and had a company already by 24. So I was really pushed into this thing because I really wanted to find my freedom through all this process and not really be dependent. My, my, my family was very controlling in a way, in a, in a very loving way, because this is how they express their love. You know, they want to protect their child from uh, sometimes missing out on understanding what our reality is nowadays. But that push, which was difficult and hard, really gave me uh, a, a lot of uh, runway. 
And I was able to find then my own or finance my own freedom as I did, you know, but I still had to work a lot in trying to, to receive that, that uh, recognition from my parents. So after I did all these careers and everything, just to see, hey, check me out. When I graduated from biomedical engineering at 21, all I wanted to do is go to culinary school. I wanted to go to Germany, peel potatoes, and just start doing that because that's all I was really passionate about. To Germany at that point, not France. Yeah. Well, because I, I, I am German, so I have a passport. I can go to Germany and just start okay. working in the field. Yeah. Uh, I did want it. My dream was to go to France because I love the French language, and, it's, and, and they are the architects of the culinary world and the culinary language in general. So I, I went back to Venezuela, did the next thing, got an MBA here, that, you know, approve, approve, please. Okay, I have a company, 60 employees, three regional offices, come on. So you wanna look at recognition, but then you forget about what you wanna live. Yeah. And until there was enough of that, and I was really burning the candle on both sides. And I said, okay, none of that anymore. You know, I'm gonna go to France and I'm gonna do what I wanted to do. And this is it. So it was really a disrupting situation, you know. But what I learned later on was uh, after I did the, my culinary work in France and came here and started the chocolate company, uh, one time I was traveling with my father to his hometown in Venezuela. And at 70 some years old, he turned around and he said, and said I never did what I wanted to do. Mm. And I'm like, wow. You know, he says, I wanted to be a radio podcaster, a radio broadcaster, or a, t- a TV star, just TV thing, TV, whatever, a commentator. But I chose the role of the family provider, and this is what I did. So I learned that, and he maybe was able to tell me and share that because he was able to see that I did not follow the path, and I broke out of that path and wanted to follow my passion. And for them, it was an invitation to share this information. For me, it was sad to hear, but you know, he did not afford that luxury of really following their passion. And we as parents sometimes are raising our children in a way that we, with only our perspective, see as the best for them, but we very seldom sit down and pay attention to really learn who they are and what they are here to do. So in this process, I'm kind of like trying to change that cycle. And then I'm making a big effort to see and read what my daughters are. I have three daughters and I want to know who they are, what they bring to this world so that they can be the best they can be. Because if they are themselves and not just playing a part and trying to please me, they can actually excel and everything will be much easier. And Michael, did that did, did that sort of rebirth um, inform the way that you started Chihuahua uh, in terms of this the kind of lifestyle that you wanted to have, where you wanted to live, et cetera? You know, it's uh, it, it did in many ways, but uh, just even, even backtracking a little bit in terms of how you change the generational cycles and stuff like that, it is very difficult because it's almost like uh, letting go of a habit you know, uh, either eating habit, drinking habit, smoking habit, whatever, because uh, you, you tend to fall back into it. It's so embedded in you. Like, so even though I, un- I understand that, you know, uh, being free to be true to yourself, you know, and express your gifts to the world is your best option to succeed. I still find myself trying to guide my daughters and tell them not do that, don't do this or that. And that's when actually I realized that how, how, how short-sighted of me from telling my daughter to do this, do that, don't do this, don't do that. Uh, oh no, actually what I'm telling them all the time is to be yourself, be true to yourself, be true to yourself, but then don't do this, don't do that. Right, like, right, right. Like, have I really sat down and gave me the time to acknowledge and recognize who she is Yeah. versus always being in the track of who I think she should be so that she can be safe. So in that same motto, you know, you have to always watch yourself because you will fall back in the old habits. So 
as we, as I, when I left Venezuela, I did never want to work for money again in my life. I went to France, became a chef, worked so hard. It was so wonderful. You know, hours, work was play. So the hours put into that were not really noticeable. Then come to the United States and we're here, well, let's do a business. And again, kind of like fell back into the capitalistic trap of let's build this business, sell it in three years for $300 million and go back home. Well, that doesn't happen. That's American dream that only very few get to live. And I don't even know if it's a dream. Uh, so, so we got in there and immediately we started getting into the cash flow things and putting the horses in behind the carriage, right? Mm -hmm. So all of a sudden, what was passionate was all about flavor and experience, even though if it was very arrogant and very self-centered about this is how you should experience arousal or how you should experience chocolate, uh, started getting really tamed and um, modeled by cash flow tension, by need to make. So we started being pushed into making products just because they were going to be cheaper and we were going to sell them. So then you change your whole idea of why it is that you're doing what you're doing. Yeah. And, and, and you fall back into the habit and, and you start feeling it really quickly. If you've done it, if you've paid enough attention in the past, you start recognizing it really quickly, right? So it's maybe like an alcoholic, right? You know, you're gonna get rid of it, you get dry. And then when you start getting into it again, you're like, oh, whoa, 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 I'm getting back into this. <clears throat> so, uh, and it was really showing me that it was failing. Every time we would make a money, a money-based decision, it would not fulfill any needs. It would just be a, uh, you know, disaster. So, there was a time when we were all ready to break down and then I gave it another chance and I was able to, I was allowed by the forces around me to do whatever it is that I had to do. Yeah. All of a sudden we started changing things and then you started getting into the flow of things. We started doing what we are here to do. This is when I learned about the, when I realized our intention of joy, this is when, when everything started turning around what we naturally do. So I started looking into my upbringing. What is inside of me that always wants to come out? Just, you can call it partying. You can call it celebration. You can call it joy. It's always there. That's what I want to, that's what I'm good at doing. Yes. So why? It's, it's not the finance. It's not the build it and sell it thing. It's right. enjoying every bite of the chocolate that we create. And I can talk about it for hours and people engage and connect. And connection is one of the most important things. So then everything started evol evolving. And just to really quickly go into how we can fall back into it again, as we were growing really quickly and we thought that we were indestructible, uh, we, know, we thought that you know, we could be everywhere. So we accepted placements in like CVS and stuff like that where we do not belong. And, uh, and we were growing, 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 thinking that we were unstoppable, that the very old notion of price, uh, price elasticity would not apply to our product. Right? So you can even become very arrogant through the success that you have. Yes. And that arrogance gets you blind again and you start making stupid decisions. So immediately it started all collapsing again. So we went from, from, from suffocation to, ex, to expansion, to excessive growth and arrogance to a second wave of collapse and regroup. And now we landed in a place where we feel, and I think I call it like a little bit of the evolution of a child. So when we were like our teenage years, 15, 16 year old company, Yep. We were so arrogant. We thought we could do everything, just kind right. of you know, narcissistic arrogance. But then we get hit hard when we go to college and we realize, oh my God, I had it good at home. And then <laughs> all of a sudden, we're like, okay, we're going to be now growing where we belong, stay, be where we are welcomed and grow at a pace without excess of expenses or anything and really be sustainable in our growth. And that has been sort of like an evolution and we're going to turn 19 years in September. So now we're an adult company. You know, it's interesting, Michael, because like you, you know, I grew up in this in this uh, capitalist world. And so competition was just so deeply ingrained in, in thinking about measurement, 
how, how things are measured, where you stack up ranking and all of this stuff. And uh, between you and I mentioned Ben Zander, uh, the, the conductor of the uh, Boston Philharmonic Orchestra, he literally has the exact same message around the, the mistake. And musicians, of course, a different form of artists do the same thing. And that, and that at, at 83 years old, the, the realization that he just keeps coming back to is to help people do what you just described earlier, which is to be yourself, to figure out what your joy is and realize you're in a game of one. It's your game. It's not your game compared to somebody else's game. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, what you mentioned about competition is really interesting because <clears throat> you know, one time somebody asked me if there was a word that I would eliminate from the vocabulary and that would be competition. And I think competition is really what has gotten us here. And competition is actually, uh, uh, you know, I, I have this little conversation around, around the drivers of business, right? And uh, until now, the three main drivers of business, uh, mostly uh, the world and definitely in the United States, are competition, mm -hmm. maximization, and profits, right? Yep. So, <clears throat> so uh, I want to change this and change to a new set of drivers, change competition into competence mm -hmm. as to do and bring the best tools and do your best job. Yep. I want to change maximization into optimization as in taking advantage of all the resources, including the planet, the people and everything so that you can take the best optimized approach to what you're doing and change the driver of profit into prosperity. So what happens in the past is that competition, maximization and profit are all quantitative. Yep. So we have delegated our decision-making to numbers. Sorry, you didn't make the quota in sales, you're fired. Right. We don't really look at context. We don't look at anything like that, right? <clears throat> so, and that environment of competition, maximization and profit creates an environment of individuality. I got to survive. I got to climb on top of you to make it up the ladder. While uh, competence, optimization and prosperity are qualitative. So these are the human factors here. It, it requires, uh, uh, you know, discernment. It requires attention to all the elements and the context. And uh, this creates an environment of collaboration, of participation, because now we're all part and we're all stakeholders in the process. So if we could change the way we do business from these previous drivers of competition, maximization and profit into a new set of drivers of competence, optimization and prosperity, we would probably start changing some issues in the world. Um, what do you think led to this, uh, I'll call it your path to awakening? Um, that, that set the stage for all of this. Um, so after the, I'll, I'll take you from um, arriving back in, in France, starting the company. I know you, you were going through this, but it seems to me in parallel, you've been on this journey, kind of a self-development journey since you started the business or maybe sooner. What, what was behind that or motivating? Well, for me, it's been a burning question that I've had all my life. And that was uh, why, so, why some people that have everything are so miserable? And why some people that have nothing are so joyful mm. and so happy. And, I, and, I, and, I, and I've been dwelling on that all my life because sometimes even around your family members, sometimes around your friends, you see people that have access and everything and they're still always misery. Yeah. And then you see people that are like nothing and they still, you know, they, they'll give the shirt off their back to you and not as, an in, as, a, as, a, as a manipulation, but as something they can do. And they're always joyful. You know, I, I would be in Venezuela uh, playing soccer with all kinds of hierarchies of the company from the messenger guy to the CFOs, right? And then we'll be playing and stuff. And I see this, these guys that live in the, 
in the you know slums or whatever, and they're just laughing and smiling and so into it, while the other guys are all kind of you know sometimes <laughs> irritated, right? Yeah. So, so I've had all that always that question, and and maybe because I I am addicted to joy, and I know that we are made of joy, we just cover it up, we just don't let it come out. I have been always trying to figure out how to be more in that joy space, right? And what is it that's blocking me? What is it that's conditioning me? What are those programs that don't allow me to fully express myself, right? So uh, through many uh, activities, you know, Vipassana meditation and other kind of breath work and different things, and lots of books, you know, like the ones that you have even recommended me, um, are, are just always giving you that light where, where you can see how you yourself uh, are blocking your way, right? So if you get out of your way, you can probably progress into who you are, right? So, and then here we're playing with the ego formations and the, and the, and the recognitions of, of the I, mine thing versus being free for whatever it is, right? So, so it's always been trying to not file, fall in the trap of being miserable. Like somebody cuts me off or somebody tells me something that I don't want to hear or I get an email that I already start feeling my heart racing and, and the, <laughs> the, the breath going faster. You know, creating as many tools as you can to back off because, because here you're not really, you're reading an email. You're, you're, you're really, nobody's doing anything to you. You're just bringing up those programs of victimized uh, hurt or wounds that you have that you're carrying on with you that nobody's wounding you, but you want to keep the wound up, right? So uh, it's, it's really interesting how we ourselves block ourselves from enjoying the absolute pure essence of ourselves, which is joy. So let me build on that, Michael. Uh, what, in your experience, what do you think is the most important skill that people need to learn or to improve today as we move into this sort of post-pandemic era? What do you think that people would well, benefit most from learning? I think uh, we're now at the cusp of uh, an evolutionary process uh, that should take, take us into connection. So I know adaptability is super important. Adaptability is like some agile kind of a way of really, you know, dodging whatever comes your way or finding new ways to do things. And that is key for sure. But what I feel is going to be transcendental is going to be really what's going to connect in the sales side, in any kind of a react, uh, relationship is connection. And the, the lack of connection is what got the world where we are. So if the trash guy, trash collector, you know, have a connection with the trash collector. Uh, if you're in sales, which is what you guys do, don't sell. Have a connection with everyone in the chain of the sales process, the brokers, the buyers. Have a connection with the shipping department. Connect as a human. Connect with people because we are all the same. We all have the same illnesses and, and hurt, hardships and everything. But if we connect, and the only way to connect with people is to look into their eyes and see them, right? Mm -hmm. And really you be present, not in your head and trying to solve all the problems when you're listening to a conversation. So for, if you can develop the ability of connection, you are going to shine in a way that everybody's going to go like, what just happening with this guy yeah. or this lady? That is, that's actually a very interesting point because when you think about, in my own experience, you know, the people who are present and who are, who are giving you their full attention, they're not looking over your shoulder. They're not looking at their phone while they're talking to you. Um, and it's so easy in this culture, especially with a phone, 
to take your attention and presence off where you are um, and put it there instead of the person who's right in front of you. So what you're saying is in the context of, of selling, uh, the, the notion of really thinking about that, that whole chain and recognizing that every link in that chain is important and that consciously building a connection, um, that's a differentiator. Yeah, a human connection. You know that the buyer has a hard day today. You know that whatever it is, you know, just kind of know, become part of that family extension, you know, so that we trust and not manipulation, truly connection, like, hu you know, uh, humility and presence there where you can really be who you are, not, not, and that way also, honestly, if I was a salesperson, I wouldn't have my heart racing when I have to be going into a, a buyer's office, you know, because I think he has the power to give me an order or not. And, and my quota is attached to that. But if I can be free to be myself and I can be concerned and the buyer is all of a sudden not feeling so good, I say, hey, don't worry, we'll meet again another time. And, and we connect and we know, we respect each other's privacy and space and feelings and we have empathy and we create a connection. That buyer is gonna remember you and is gonna be the one that's gonna to wanna to buy from you, right? Because you're not even selling them, you're actually helping them in doing their job. They're acquiring stuff that they need to acquire. That's their job description, but you're making it a human process. You're making it easy for them to do. And, and they are happy to do it with you because you're their friend in a way. And it's not manipulation. It's true, honest connection. It's, uh, it's very profound what you're, what you're saying right here. I want to go back to one last business thing before we wrap, because it was you mentioned it, but I think it's such an important element as, as you think about what I will call rebranding post-pandemic. And, and to an extent, even just the consciousness of a human connection, that can be part of a person's brand, right? That they, 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 they think about that and they become known as that person. Um, in your case, I, I witnessed this as a customer of yours. I would not have believed how impactful the change in packaging was of, of having a product inside a package that had okay packaging and then with the, the, the sort of modern white packaging with the product described, making it much clearer to see exactly what's in it. What was the impact? What's your experience on the importance of packaging as it relates to helping people make a buying decision or maybe even starting to think in the right mind, mindset to experience joy? Well, you know, it's as, as we were saying, um, and maybe this is actually taking me to the conclusion of the connection. Our previous packaging, as you said, was not connecting, right? So you, uh, if you are a consumer product sitting on a shelf, you have very little time to connect with people passing by. Yes. Right? So you need to make sure that you, you really pay attention to what would trigger their attention. Clean packaging, uh, you know, in my case, uh, a yummy mouth-watering picture, maybe yep. a, a striking little uh, name to it, curiosity evoking. And then they can stop and want to take a second look then. So they have a, a millisecond time to see you. Then they have maybe grab it and they maybe dedicate another 30 seconds to maximum a minute to kind of even move around the packet. And they're still not ready to buy the product, right? <clears throat> and then if there's enough compelling information that connects with them, maybe the values of your company, maybe, maybe the way you're describing the product and what you're somehow promising, uh, you know, some people connect with a lot of ethical values. Some people connect with the moment of, of childhood and, and that's reflecting it. And then at that po point, you're really pretty much uh, having a, a, a deal. You know, you're really sealing the deal in a way that, cause you have connected with that consumer. 
Then if you deliver what's in the promise of the packaging, then you have a permanent connection with the consumer and he's going to try to help out other people also connect within this experience, right? So uh, it is definitely crucial that uh, you get out of yourself, you think about something that is uh, uh, really in line with the consumer that you feel you want to connect. And it's not every consumer, which can be everything for everyone. Of course. Right? So, so the people that are going to be your consumer tribe, in a way, the people that would see it and get a giggle, people that would taste it and share it, those are your people. They're out there, right? And, and you just have to settle and reach them as much as you can uh, and not try to see blanket everyone. And, you know, this is a chocolate for everyone because nothing is for everyone. Well, Michael, I have to tell you, this has been a uh, fantastic conversation. And um, as I said, there's, there's many people I know who, um, who've already been exposed to it. For those people who haven't been exposed, how do people learn more about Chihuahua and if they want to connect with you? Well, um, <clears throat> we have a website, of course, chihuahuachocolatier.com. And uh, you can send an email to info at chihuahuachocolatier and they'll find me. And uh, I'll be happy to connect and talk and you know, I do like virtual tastings uh, on Zoom now that this is our new reality and I enjoy them because I get to be in everybody's living room and, <clears throat> and taste chocolate and tell stories about the chocolates. And uh, we've done a lot of those. So these are new things that are being inherited from the pandemia uh, era. And it's opened up a space of connectivity that is beautiful. Even though at first I was like, Zoom, oh, it doesn't sound good. <laughs> I think all, most of us went through that. Uh, but now I feel like this is a really easy way to connect with people and we can really get on the same page. So I'm open to anything, you know, uh, you probably have a way to put my information there. Uh, I do, I do. And I'm just going to spell it. It's C-H-U-A-O, chihuahuachocolatier.com. Yeah, and how you pronounce it is also one of the things that you do when you're an entrepreneur. You know, we decided to use the name Chihuahua, which actually represents, uh, uh, it's the name of a very famous cacao plantation in Venezuela, it produces one of the finest cacaos in the world. And uh, we took the name as a Venezuelan, wanting to represent the high quality product that we would make. But I didn't realize that for the English speaker, three vowels together is very difficult to pronounce. So the only other word is luau, which I think we all kind of got into. <laughs> but, but we have been called chao, chi, chu, chihuahua, chao, everything. So somebody came up with this idea where you chew and say wow. So chew, wow. And we like to say, if it's not a wow, it's not a chihuahua. There you go. I love that, Michael. And I'll leave you with, uh, with your own message that's under your title as uh, Chief Joy Activator. And uh, it's really a wonderful way to, to sign off. And that is uh, with joy and gratitude. So Michael Antonorsi, thank you very much. Thank you so much, Mark. And everybody, please enjoy life. We only got one. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for joining us this week on Adapters Advantage, available on all major podcast platforms. Make sure you visit our website, alego.com, where you can subscribe to our podcast so you'll never miss an episode. If you liked this show, you might want to check out our virtual training kit to learn how to keep a remote team running at full speed. Go to alego.com slash virtual to download your kit today. Be sure to tune in for our next episode. And don't forget, one new idea can change your life.